Welcome to episode 87. You're exploring the magnificently creepy collection of Regina Marie and Ryan Matthew Cohen, the New York couple behind the world-famous Oddities Flea Market. They are here to tell us all about their biggest event yet, Holiday of Wonders, at time of release this Saturday and Sunday at Villains in New York. Tickets are on sale now, so hit up the events page at theoddiesfleamarket.com. During this chat, uncover a rare collection of death masks, historic medical specimens, taxidermy, human skulls. Go along with Regina and Ryan on their most dangerous adventures acquiring these items, how it all got started, the amazing things you will be able to get your hands on, the films and filmmakers that belong in your curio cabinet, and more. Your expedition starts now. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two of the most influential and supportive figures in the world of dark art, oddities, and curiosities. This New York-based husband and wife team are passionate collectors and artists. They've combined their interests in the macabre, natural history, and all things interesting and turned it into a movement. He starred in Discovery Channel's reality show Oddities, where he brought his educated opinion, craft work, and consultation skills to the stories shared by the East Village Antique Shop Obscura, featuring a diverse group of clients, including everyone from Dita Von Tees and Jonathan Davis from Corn. She comes from the world of high fashion and, with her expertise, has helped turn their shared eccentricities into a community and culture that, as fans of this stuff, we can all benefit and enjoy. They created the iconic Oddities Flea Market. Its biggest incarnation is about to take place Saturday and Sunday, December 7th and 8th in Brooklyn. Here to tell us all about it are Ryan and Regina Cohen. Thank you guys for joining us. What an introduction. Yeah, that's way better than anything I could have ever written. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Well, thank you guys for all that you do. So what was your gateway into this world of becoming the protectors of all these unusual objects and art? Well, I think we needed to just kind of keep it alive. As most people know, the rents in New York are astronomically high. And as a result, it sort of kicked all the antique people out of the city. And I don't even know that they're opening up in other places. So like the world of antiques in general seemed to have died a bit since the 2000s and something that I always struggled with as a big collector. And so antiques is one part of it, but then oddities is another. And I think some of the institutions that existed in the city have sort of evaporated as well. And Regina and I came up with the oddities flea market to really just try some way to keep the community together because there really was a lack of one. And there still kind of is until we created this thing here. Was there an object or something like that that you can think back to that became the first thing that opened your eyes to start collecting? Red, how about yours? Are you talking about the Kapalas? Sure. What Ryan is trying to say is that we met over a, me wanting my first skull, which was a Kapala skull that Ryan had posted on social media. And he never put the prices of things. So I wrote to him inquiring and then, of course, devastated when he told me the price point. Hey, some oddities are very expensive. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. 
that's actually how we met was all over a Kapala skull. But of course, now the joke is that I own them all, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Ironically, one of the first things that really drove me into the genre of oddities was a human skull as well. And I got it as as a gift for my birthday one year. I must have been about 15 or 16, I think. I might have even been a little younger than that. I was obsessed with it. I used to draw it. It was like the focal point of my very small collection at the time. And that one skull grew into two skulls, into a hundred skulls, into, you know, what I have now. How does one obtain a skull at 15? Like, I don't even Your know. Your name is Ryan Matthew Cohen. <laughs> You're a weird kid that was living upstate New York. Yeah. I mean, you have to understand that every doctor that went through medical school, maybe pre 2010, it was part of the curriculum to own a human skull to study, you know, so you could learn about the human head. And so they're, they're pretty, you know, like people retire, people go out of business and some of these things will show up at auctions or flea markets or antique shows. And New York did have some of the best flea markets. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just now everything is just non-existent. Are you finding that because of that, has it driven prices up when you are able to locate stuff? Yeah, I think sometimes for sure. It's all about supply and demand. You know, we try to keep the price point on pretty much everybody's budget at the flea market. So, yeah, you're going to have your upscale items that maybe are over $1,000 or even more. But then there's you can buy someone's print for $20 or like even at my booth, I try to have like small things for sale that are affordable to pretty much any client. Because I remember growing up, I didn't always have $1,000 to spend on something. I would often just go to the flea market to spend like $20 and I felt fulfilled. That's how I started my collection. That's the amazing thing about having you guys out there kind of curating all this stuff for the collecting community is that you guys do kind of have a better hold on the price than say if someone was going looking for this stuff on eBay or one of the few expensive antique stores that might still be existing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just all across the board. It's just hard to find. I mean, we were in Florence recently in Italy. There's a lot more antiques in Europe for sure, but stuff is still hard to find. I mean, it's not like it used to be. And then when we did find it, it was priced astronomically high. Yeah, crazy prices. So yeah. Ryan, I've seen a variety of projects you've worked on personally, like an exploded view of a cat skull, for instance. You've gotten into the mummification process of things. What was that path like? Well, just in learning the process and like utilizing osteology. How young did you start learning about how to actually take apart things and do it yourself? I really got, I really went crazy into that stuff in my late teens, early twenties. And I really started to create those types of preparations because they were just impossible to find. And as an artist, I I had actually worked as a jeweler for many years and I, I worked with companies like Ralph Lauren and Double RL and even did stuff for Tommy Hilfiger a couple of times. Developing the skills that a jeweler would use was kind of the same thing that an osteologist would use, except you're using bone. But to make the actual apparatus and stands and stuff, uh, I already had the skill set for it. And so it just harmoniously went together. And uh, I still really enjoy doing that stuff. I just don't have a lot of time to do it, unfortunately. Sure. What do you guys get from being around all that stuff, can you kind of describe the creative energy that you both get from being able to live your passion and surround yourself in it, even when you come home? Well, I know as far as the community is concerned, I mean, we truly feel like we're with our people when we're at one of the markets. And I think our patrons certainly feel that way and our vendors do as well. It's funny, you know, with all the the objects that we have in our home, we've almost become desensitized to it. 
I think most people walk in our house and I just, I'm so used to it that, you know, I don't even think anything of it. And then somebody is either sweating and they look like they're going <laughs> to pass out or their eyes are fully dilated and they are like, oh my God, you know, I've seen it in photos, but it's so different in person. And then I'm like, oh yes, yes, of course you haven't been here before. So like, I don't see it if that makes sense. You know, I always see like the imperfection. Really? Yeah. Some almost say like, Oh my God, that's the most incredible piece. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Like I hate this crack on the case or like, <laughs> isn't the wall ugly? I really like to paint it. I think you become a perfectionist when you live with so many things. And when, especially like we pay a lot of detail to our collection, like every single piece has a story and a certain like overall look to it. It takes a lot of time to put together. I was going to ask that. I mean, there are several stunning videos that people can check out on YouTube and things like that that give you a real glimpse of just the extension of your guys' personal, impressive collection. And it is very artfully laid out. How important is the aesthetic of displaying, not only acquiring, but displaying these objects in a, in a visually appealing way? Just as important. We'll see young collectors and, and they'll buy something beautiful. And then we'll see the display and we're like, oh, God. Like, you know, we got to tell them that you can't buy some beautiful piece and then put it in a like a cheap $20 frame. But you can always dress up anything and it can really be done on any budget. I think part of why I share the collection with the public is to teach people. Well, that's right. You have the attention for detail, which right. I think makes people's cabinets of curiosities stick out and like impress even more. It's the eye for details. It's the presentation. Yeah. And I've seen it so many times where someone actually has some decent pieces, but they'll buy a thousand year old skull and stick it in a right. modern Ikea cabinet. It just looks weird to me anyways, but maybe that's how they like to present it. Myself and Lauren here are also collectors ourselves. And it's funny, you could oh, take cool. you could take a rock and just like you said, mm -hmm. stick it in an Ikea shelf. Or you can take that same rock that you got from outside and put it on a velvet pillow and a brass box. Yeah. And it just elevates yeah. it to, you know, makes it look like the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it tells a story. And it's, that's what it's all about. And that's what I, I spend most of my time looking for apparatus to display an interesting piece that I have in the collection. Otherwise, it usually doesn't last very long with us. How much of this is the thrill of the chase for you versus once you've obtained an item and have it on your shelf? That's the unfortunate part about being an obsessive collector. You'll spend a lifetime trying to find this one object. You look high and low. You're looking every single day on the Internet. You're at antique shows looking for stuff. You finally get it. And then it goes in a cabinet. And then you want another one or you want to find something else like that. And that very much happens with me, at least. If I get one, then I want like 10 of them. Can I just tell you, like the first year that I met Ryan, we would be hanging out and we'd be in the living room and I'd be lighting candles and getting some wine. And I would turn around and Ryan would be like gone. And I would text him and be like, uh, babe, where did you go? And he's like, hey, hey sorry, I just got a phone call. I'll be right back. And like, I would find out like Ryan's like on his journey to like the city to go see something. And like, I mean, he's really impulsive and will drop anything for the right email or phone call, including his darling wife. <laughs> I, get, I get that. <laughs> Is there a grill piece that you guys would love to own that you don't have yet? You know, I think my, uh, at least my, my tastes have changed a lot over the years. And I don't think we even look for pieces anymore. I yeah. think our thing now is full 
collections that we can open another bar, another place of business. I think we're looking at more multiple, not single items. Actually, I'd say one of my holy grails would be to find the proper resting place for our collection, meaning our permanent home. Meaning, meaning like a museum or an actual new, like, are you thinking of moving into some big estate house or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we are on the hunt. We are ready to move. Yeah, we're actually, we just found out a couple days ago that we might be moving from Brooklyn to another Brooklyn place across my fingers for the, the time being. We haven't finalized it. We have a lot of stuff and we've always just crammed it all into a very small space. And I couldn't imagine what it would look like in a proper space where we can actually spread things around the house. We just never really had that. As most people know, Brooklyn is filled with small apartments, you know. We would love to empty the storage units and actually get everything under one roof. That would be amazing. That's my dream. What would you say would be, I don't know, the craziest or maybe even most dangerous thing you've done to acquire an item? Also in the beginning of a relationship. Oh, shit. Do you remember when you would say like, Okay, text me in 15 minutes. If I don't answer, call the police. (laughs) That happened more than once. Actually, I have a a funny story. It it seemed dangerous, but in the end, it actually, and it it turned out great. We bought the House of Wax collection. If some of your listeners know about that, it's a 19th century wax museum, heavily based in like medical atrocities and death masks and other things having to do with anatomy. It was located in Munich, Germany. And so we had like four or five days to finalize this thing, which was a huge undertaking. It was also a very expensive collection. And we basically were about to leave on our honeymoon, but had to make a decision whether we're buying this thing or not. And uh, I really impeded on the, on the honeymoon. Long story short, we end up in Munich, Germany to meet the guy selling it. Had no idea who he was, except when we got to the airport in Munich, this guy's in the parking lot. He's like six foot four holding up a big wax arm, waving to us. What? And he oh has like a, a little Fiat. Yep. Yep. And uh, he was just like, you know, come with me. We're going into the countryside. And that's what we did. We just got into the strange oh, guy's yeah. car. Oh he my God. For hours to the point where I was falling asleep in and out of consciousness. That was the chloroform. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. This sounds like hostile. Yeah. yeah it sounds like hostile. <laughs> you wake up trapped in a chair. I was sending my family messages like, if you never see me again, the last thing I saw was a field with some goats. Like, I didn't know what was happening. He turned out to be one of like the nicest guys. He like owned a whole village out there. And um, he took us to this, this big estate that he was building. And the wax collection was located down in the basement. Not creepy or anything there either. <laughs> yeah. Just a bunch of dismembered mannequins in some guy's basement. But it turned out great. But it was one of those situations where we both looked at each other, took a deep breath and said, fuck it. We're already here. Let's do it. How did you even find out that that collection was in existence? From a middle person in the state. When I first heard about it, I thought that the, it was much less expensive. It turned out to be like way over budget for us, but we made it work. So is that the collection that's now on display at the House of Wax cocktail bar in New York across from the Alamo Draft House, right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And we kept uh, a, a lot of the pieces that we really wanted to like have forever. Uh, so those are in our personal collection. Can you talk a little bit about the death masks that really interest me? So the death mask would have been taken of someone at their time of passing, and they were used as a form of memento mori to remember what that person looked like at death. And it was a very popular process that was done for many, many centuries. And it's probably still done today. 
In fact, you'll sometimes see plaster death masks. Those are a little bit more common, but these would have been, you know, a mold was made and different types of materials could have been poured into the mold, wax being one of them. And then sometimes you'll see like a Napoleon that's made out of bronze. That one tends to be a relatively common one. The wax one is very, very rare. And we have Napoleon on display. Wow. That's so awesome. That's so neat. Have you ever come across anything that you feel is haunted or paranormal? No. You haven't? Have you? I don't think so. Especially not in our house. Like a lot of people ask us that. And it's so peaceful there. And, you know, we have pets. Too, and I always feel like they would let us know if something wasn't right. And we've never had an incident or a feeling or a haunt, nor have anyone that's ever like stayed at our house. But even on like when you're in the field, I just don't feel like we've ever come across anything. I've come across really weird stuff where I didn't really like the feel of it or something was off. Sure. That makes sense. Or like yeah. something smelled kind of weird, but it, you know, it wasn't like, but that's like more question, questioning yeah. where it came from sure. more than a haunt. Right. Yeah. We've always been open to the idea of haunting and things being possessed by some form of spirit. But Still, waiting. Still waiting. Still <laughs> waiting. <laughs> I'm always fascinated when people of like passions get together because typically it's in a relationship. Usually it's one person's way more passionate about something than the other. And you hear stories like, oh, you keep all your stuff in one room in the house. But when two people share the same interests, a collection and display just amplifies and really becomes a part of the relationship. I was wondering, Regina, if you can talk about how meeting Ryan changed your perspective on maybe how life for you was at the time. Oh, God. (laughs) She's rolling her eyes, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I'm rolling them so far back in my head right now. So that's the thing. In the beginning, I mean, I knew what I was getting into. Did you, though? Not really. Um, I did as far as the collection. I, I mean, it was obvious Ryan's passion now Fast forwarding five years, I definitely appreciate it just like I did day one and I see the beauty in it and Ryan's talent blows my mind. But at the same time, I'm feeling like I need my own personal space as far as like my own room or like I do. I fantasize about a room that has my cat, my dog, a lamp, a beautiful lounge and some sunlight. In other words, I'm kind of jonesing now for normalcy, some sort of normalcy. Listen, you know, when you get together with someone that collects weird things, chances are they're probably weird. (laughs) Yeah. But like, it's a very, think about it. We have to be really careful about the amount of light that comes into the home because we're protecting the wax and the skulls and the glass. Like in other words, this girl needs some sun. My God. Like, I need, I need a light box. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird way of living. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, it tends to just feel a little heavy sometimes and a little dark for me. So, in our next space, we've definitely talked about that. I'll definitely have my, my own little boudoir where I can just go and kind of remove myself. Because it is. It's a very intense space that we live in. It can be to some. It's not a normal way of living, really. You know, like you're kind of living in a museum and I'm used to it. I've always lived that way. It's not really for everybody. It's it's a very different way. <laughs> you raise an interesting point is that, you know, a lot of people just say, oh, yeah, just put it on the on the shelf and display it. And that's it. You live around it. But no, there's you actually have to take care of it. 
right? There's a maintenance that goes with that. And like you said, a style of life. Yeah, yeah. it is. And the cleaning and the dusting and the windexing and the Regina, don't spray hairspray right in that because it can float under the glass. And <laughs> like, I feel like it controls us sometimes. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Like the, st- and- the stuff owns you or do you own the stuff, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I would like to take the power back, if you know what I'm saying. Just just a little bit. <laughs> so I promised Regina, I think any other oddities husbands are listening out there. Make sure that your significant other has a boudoir. Yeah. <laughs> I just need my own little feminine room. Totally. I was wondering if you think that there might be particular films in the pantheon of horror or perhaps musicians or bands or uh, music videos even that have served to kickstart the movement of collecting oddities and curios or that tend to serve as ground zero to a lot of people discovering a love for this stuff. Yeah, I think early Vincent Price movies really influenced the look of our house. Oh, um, Sunset Boulevard. Boulevard. That's a big one for us. It's not like really, it's more of a noir movie, but I'm obsessed with that movie. And I was sort of like loosely modeled the house. Adam's Family is another one. I'm trying to think of horror movies that were super influential. Can you think of any? To the collecting? I'm not sure. To our life? Of course. Freaks and Spider Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Of course. There's something about, like, we watch Rosemary's Baby maybe twice a month. That's like our comfort film. Like, if we're having a bad day, oh, put on Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> That's awesome. That's Those are some great movies. Oh, my God. We were talking about Spider Baby the other day. It's one of our favorite. That's our dog's name. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, Yeah. so that's our rescue dog, Spider Baby, and he's like the love of our life. Oh, that's so awesome. Wow. Good old Sid Haig. And you'd be surprised how many people have not heard of that movie, and I have to explain, why is your dog's name Spider Baby? For some reason, a lot of people don't know of that movie, and it's amazing. It's like, it's a very Adams Family-esque movie when you Mm -hmm. look at it. I actually went to the house in Los Angeles. It's been completely restored but it is out there are you able to go inside or is it is it on display or does someone actually own it and is it a residence no someone owns it now so i I saw it from the outside there's like a beautiful painted lady victorian house oh that's awesome that is so so cool one person in the the world of horror who's definitely done something as far as exposing the hobby would probably be guillermo del toro taking his bleak house exhibit on display I had a piece in that show, actually. Uh, no way. Oh, cool. Yeah, he uh, had commissioned an exploded skull for me maybe a couple years prior to that. And um, he ended up putting that in the show. Uh, what was it called? Tra- something with Monsters? Yeah, we, we our biggest regret is that we didn't go out to L.A. for it. I think at that time it was supposed to come to the East Coast. So we held out and then we found out he missed his collection and kind of what didn't he shorten? Yeah, he wanted it back. Yeah, he wanted it back. So he shortened his trip. Which I can totally understand because I couldn't imagine living without my collection mm-hmm. for like a year or, or longer. But a lot of people sent us photos of Ryan's piece in it. And it was, so it was great. So you haven't had the opportunity to actually come out here and visit Del Toro's actual bleak house? No, because every time I'm out there, he's in like Toronto or somewhere else filming a movie. But we've hung out. He's gotten a few things yeah. for me. You guys chat back and forth a lot. He's a good dude. That's amazing. That's so cool. And Rob Zombie is also a very big collector. Not publicly, but he's got great stuff. A lot of memorabilia and horror, but he also has a lot of odd things like taxidermy and other such things. 
Well, speaking of that and how everyone can pick up some of that stuff for their very own, let's go into a little bit about this particular Oddities Flea Market. So you mentioned how it started at the beginning. So how many of the actual events have happened now? This is like the eighth one in New York. Is that true? Yeah, eight in New York, four in L.A., or we're about to do four in L.A. One in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I love that we don't really know. Yeah, I have no idea. And I know that my assistant is in the other room cringing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That means that means you're doing it right. You're doing it. You're, you're spreading the love. That's what it means. We're trying to do about five of them a year. We try to leave like two months in between. They're an astronomical amount of work because we really do. It's very mom and pop. We really are doing everything as far as looking for new talent and the administrative stuff. And then it's a lot. And then Ryan still has to find things for his own booth at the market. So it's a really like beyond a full-time job. It's a labor of love. But you're great at it. Regina came from sort of an administrative background to a certain degree. I come from more of an art background. So like I'm sort of in the clouds sometimes, but I can make things look real pretty. (laughs) And Regina truly understands like the flow of, the business side of it. So it's been like, it's been a really nice relationship, her focusing on one part and me kind of focusing on the other. Yeah. And now, of course, we do have a pretty extensive team to help us with the things that we're just not good at. Because, you know, as you evolve, you have to say, okay, I can't control everything. Like I'm not great at video production. Obviously, now we have a publicist, which is great. That only benefits our vendors because they're going to get more exposure, which is exactly what we want. How about you've always wanted to say, now I have a publicist. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Now, now I have a publicist. <laughs> For those who haven't been to one of the Oddities Flea Market, can you kind of walk through a little bit about what the experience of being at this is like? We have a broad spectrum of vendors. You know, you have taxidermists, obviously the the most notable oddities types of things, taxidermists, people who sell skulls and bones and like your, your normal oddities when you think of the word oddities. But then we have artists, we have people who make jewelry, we have yeah, entomologists who work with insects. We have people who work with glass eyes specifically. Most of the events, our events, we have between 70 to 80 vendors on either day. It's usually a two day event. And then we'll usually try to do some form of activation as well. And that sort of varies from performances to music to what will happen in the future. And this one's called the Holiday of Wonders. Yeah. We're really excited about this one because this is our first time. We just got a new venue called Villain. Our last Brooklyn venue is actually closing. So uh, we knew this about six months ago. So we were sort of freaking out there looking for a new venue because as we were discussing earlier, Real estate in New York is astronomical. So to rent a space for two days is really, really quite difficult. But we're really lucky because people in our community see what we're doing. Our vendor booths are not expensive. Our ticket prices are not expensive for the experience. Like it really is for the small businesses. In our community, like we're really trying to provide mm-hmm. something that kind of benefits anybody. It's a very family friendly event. So yeah. um, children can come in under 10 for free. We try to have something for everybody. And we, we have a really interesting group of patrons that come through. You have a lot of celebrities, But then you have a lot of people that are in the medical field Mm -hmm. and then you have your oddities aficionados. But then you have everyone else who's just kind of curious and interesting and maybe starting their collections for the first time. Yeah, I feel like the Saturday is definitely for like 
you know, the hardcore collector. They are coming. They want first dibs. It's intense. It's really busy. Sunday feels a little bit lighter. It's more almost turning into more of like a family day where now families are taking their young children and exposing them to things and explaining to them what things are and seeing these adorable children all wide-eyed and asking questions melts all of the vendors' hearts. So it's really cool. There's also a VIP ticket. What's included in that experience? So the VIP ticket, which is sold exclusively through Atlas Obscura, it's just a two-hour early entry. So it's a limited number of tickets. So that just means if you don't want to be there when there's 500 people charging the door, buy the VIP ticket for $30, come at 10. General admission doesn't start till 12. So you really have the floor for two hours, but then it's not like you have to leave either. But this time around, we've also included a VIP lounge. So if people want to go grab a drink and relax, they have a special area where they can go chill out. The VIP sort of started based on my experiences when I go to high-end antique shows or even flea markets. I always want to get there at the very beginning because I want the best stuff. Obviously, I'm looking for antiques. And so antiques are one of a kind. So the best of the best is going to sell the quickest. Yeah, and I would say all the vendors that are selling human skulls, they're gone the first hour. Whoa! That is, yeah. They're gone. But there's plenty of skulls, so there will be plenty throughout the day. And I also wanted to mention that on Sunday, there's a lot of different vendors, too. So Yes, we swap out on purpose. We like that vendors just don't do the whole weekend. Also, because we're seeing such a large crowd, our vendors are having a hard time keeping up with merchandise for two days, which is great because now it's giving us an opportunity to have different vendors on the next day. And they're coming and they're, you know, fully stocked for the Sunday vendors. So it's actually kind of working out better. And what is Suitcase of Wonders? They're a part of this. <laughs> That's a good question. We both just looked at each other like, yes. Yeah. So Ryan and I have never seen him perform, but he was recommended by our partners, Alice Obscura. He's worked with them on various events. And we know that he's set up in the VIP area. And I believe he literally works out of a suitcase. He has a very small footprint of space. And I don't know. It's so mysterious and wondrous that we don't even know. So it'll be a surprise to not only the patrons, but to us. <laughs> it looks great. Like if you go, if you go in on the website, it actually, it looks really cool. It looks very old timey and uh, steeped in Victoriana, yeah. which I think everybody who goes yeah. to this would be pleased to see. So that's awesome that that'll be revealed. Speaking of spider baby, a portion of the ticket sales are donated to nonprofit dog rescue charity. That's badass Brooklyn animal rescue. That's right. Every holiday show, we'd like to give back, obviously. It wouldn't feel right if we didn't. And we know that our community loves animals. And I know some people are always like, wait, but there's taxidermy. Isn't that weird? And no, it's not. Because A, we're working with the best taxidermists that are ethically sourcing everything. They have a passion for animals. That's why they do what they do. So the point is, all our vendors have animals. A lot of our vendors are rescuing animals on the side. And so it just made sense that we were going to bring Badass Brooklyn into the mix. Ryan and I were not even dog people until just a random day where we were walking down the street and locked eyes with the spider who happened to be wearing one of those adopt me vests on the sidewalk. <laughs> I guess I should note that Regina's cat was very sick and I think he, he had just passed, passed away. away. And we were dreading that day for like 
five years or like a couple of years that I was yeah, with been already. Sick for a long time. And so when we met this dog, he had the same spirit. We saw it in his eyes mm-hmm. and he's become one of the best part of our life. I just started walking down the street crying and I had never had a dog my whole life. And I started texting Ryan, like, I just lost eyes with this dog and I have to have him. You have to get me this dog. And I couldn't stop crying. And now he's the love of our life. She stopped crying and now we have like a lovely dog. <laughs> Doggies yeah. are the best. Have you they guys? Are. I would have 50 dogs, but I have four kids. So <laughs> the mix is not good. Yeah. We have, we have, we have one have no dog kids, now. So yeah. now. We're just going to collect dogs. That's there you yeah, go. And I do. I feel like because we don't have kids, we should be taking care of dogs. <laughs> so we're working on dog number two as well. Uh, we just have to see if we're moving first and figure that out. But yeah, so Badass Brooklyn, they're an all non-for-profit. Yeah, everything is done through donations. All volunteers. And so we couldn't be happier to give them a portion of the proceeds. They will take donations. They will sell their own merchandise. And then what's awesome is a lot of our vendors have donated really awesome one-of-a-kind pieces for a silent auction that will take place during the whole weekend. I just had a question. Have either one of you ever been to the Bodies exhibit? Sure. I have. Yeah, we both have. We've never been together. Not together. I thought it was actually really cool. I know that there's a little bit of controversy built into it, but I thought it was an interesting way to teach people about science and anatomy, especially for younger people that might not have seen anything quite like that. I mean, personally, I prefer the 18th century versions of plastination or mummification, but I also thought it was fairly well done. What was your experience with We went, we brought our daughter and I don't think she will ever forget it. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. She had a really like strong adverse reaction to it, which was interesting because yeah. How old is she? How old was she when we took her? Probably seven. Yeah. Yeah. I I felt like she'd be interested because she wants to be a doctor and I was like, oh, this will be perfect. And I think when she realized they were actual bodies, like dead bodies, I think that's what scared her. Yeah, really Aww. did. Yeah, had an effect on her. We had to get her out of there. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think like sh- one day she'll get over her fear. Well, now she's at. Yeah, she's trying to. She's really starting to develop a love for horror films. She's ten now, so I think now would probably be a good time to reawaken that. Uh, after we yeah. go, you know, take her to see Annabelle again or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so when well, you- it's always cool to start with like the early ones, like Vincent Price movies are a little bit more PG, but still as good as any horror movie. Yeah, that's right. Like all the, you know, all the old Universal movies and stuff, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Bride of Frankenstein, those are all great to show kids as well. That's That's been a hoot actually as parents. Besides the New York one that's going on December 7th and 8th, when are you guys going to be out in the LA area next for the next Oddities Flea Market out yeah. here? Yeah, April 4th and 5th, 2020. We just opened registration this week and it is doing its thing. It is doing its thing. I think it's going to be the biggest and best one yet. Oh, that's awesome. Is it going to be at the Globe again, do you think? Yeah. Same same at the Globe. And I think we'll have slightly more vendors and we'll have a lot of new vendors that people haven't seen before. So we're really excited about that. A lot of our Chicago vendors now want to come out to L.A. And obviously our New York vendors want to come out to L.A. And then, of course, we're always looking for West Coast talent. And we even have some international artists that are interested. So we're really excited. All right, you guys. Well, the Oddities Flea Market, Holiday of Wonders, December 7th and 8th in Brooklyn, New York at Villains. Tickets on sale now. 
Regina and Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. It was amazing. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 87. Special thanks to our guests, Regina Marie and Ryan Matthew Cohen. Follow them on Instagram at Regina Marie Cohen and at Ryan Matthew Cohen and at Oddities Flea Market. Don't miss the Oddities Flea Market Holiday of Wonders at time of release this Saturday and Sunday at Villains in Brooklyn. Tickets through the events page at theodditiesfleamarket.com. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye! A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.